0: I am the League of Shadows. I am here to fulfill Raza destiny. Victory has defeated you. You fight like a younger man. There's nothing held back. It's admirable, but mistaken. And we give it back to you, the people. When it comes to The Dark Knight Rises, there's no contesting that over the decades since it came out, well, actually, almost almost 11 years following its release, audiences have tended to look at it as the least favored Batman film within Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight trilogy. There's no denying that. My personal opinion, I think it's the second best film. Although there have been times where I've had a greater appreciation for The Dark Knight Rises, as opposed to The Dark Knight. But that's just like a spur-of-the-moment bias that I have because, I mean, you got to admit, it is a great film at the end of the day, regardless of how you feel, because I think many of the negative or mixed reviews that The Dark Knight Rises received, in addition to its positive reception, was due to a sense of disappointment, because, after all, it was the third and final chapter in a trilogy of films that had pretty much changed how superhero films or looked on from that point, and probably for better or worse, because I I think the worst thing I can say about The Dark Knight is also the best thing, that it's a great film that changed the game. But unfortunately, many of the people that that appreciated The Dark Knight and thought that could be helpful for the aesthetic of their own superhero film didn't fully understand as to why it was great. They thought that just because it was dark, incredibly serious, and dramatic, somehow that could translate to other superhero films or at least certain super moments in superhero films as though it was supposed to fit it. I mean, I don't, I'm not saying every superhero film has tried to be the Dark Knight or tried to replicate it, but unfortunately, it did, create a, it did create a market for superhero films, much like Iron Man did, in the sense that they've dominated the entire culture of cinema, where I, feel like, I think I even mentioned this in a review for The Good Shepherd, that I don't see a film like The Good Shepherd being made today. And not because the filmmakers wouldn't have confidence, wouldn't believe in the story or enjoy it, but because studios wouldn't see a profit in it. I mean there are plenty of great films out there, or just decent films out there, or old films that are decent that I, I could they probably could have been made around that time, but I don't see them being made today because they wouldn't even turn a profit. I recently saw the Green Zone, Matt Damon, which I think is an underrated thriller. It's not the best Paul Greengrass has delivered, but it is still a good movie. And yet, it ended up being a box office flop. And that was 2010. Back when superhero movies, in some way or the other, were still in their early stages. I mean, Iron Man 2 had come out that summer, but again, then there's the. F- and you have to take into account, though, how much, it's gr- how much the superhero genre has grown exponentially since then. But I'm not necessarily making this recording talk about the economics of superhero films, so much as my own personal thoughts on The Dark Knight Rises and the intellectual discourse it was definitely tackling. Now, anybody who's looked at The Dark Knight Rises, read reviews, or even watched enough analysis videos, it's gonna become impossible for them to avoid the political angles in which The Dark Knight Rises was tackling. I don't know if it was purposeful, Christopher Nolan has certainly denied The Dark Knight Rises being a political film, just as much as he would deny the politics of any of his films. But I think that's, I mean, to some extent, I can believe he's telling the truth, but also not think that he doesn't have some self-awareness of the topics he's tackling. I don't think he's trying to promote some agenda or shove any views down people's throats. I don't know what the the politics of Christopher Nolan are. I think he is incredibly neutral when it comes to politics or how his films handle politics. I think he just presents it as the way a storyteller would do with an unbiased sense where he's just simply presenting a situation that does have political ramifications, but he's not necessarily giving an opinion so much as presenting it because it's part of the environment. And when it comes to The Dark Knight Rises, I mean, the film came out in 2012. And it was just a few months shy of the four-year anniversary of the 2008 financial crisis. And yet you can see it within the environment of The Dark Knight Rises, this sense of economic and cultural disparity that has gripped an entire population to the point where there's not there's not enough work, there's a lot of economic disparity, a lot of in, crumbling infrastructures due to a loss of, of funding, income, and just not enough not enough profit to warrant their their handling. One key example is definitely the 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 the, st- the status of the orphanage that the character John Blake lived in and how they don't have the financial resources to keep it support keep it running. There many young men are who are being asked to leave the orphanage because they re- they don't have the resources to take care of them past the age of 18. Have to live either live on the street or go look for work in the sewer, and which is a bizarre thing. But then again, that just shows you the type of environment that the financial, the 2008 financial crisis created. In my interview with uh, the host of What Bitcoin Get, Did, Peter McCormick, we did mention the film The Big Short, and one scene he's always mentioned in his own podcast is that scene with the family who has just lost their home and they're being forced to live in their car. And there's just something so heartbreaking about that. But you could probably, and there are probably examples of things that are exponentially worse. And so it's not unrealistic to believe that young men who are kicked out of an orphanage or told to leave an orphanage because they can't be supported by it because of its financial limitations will go out and do drastic things. And in the case of one of the kids in the movie, he ends up working for, ends up working with a crew under Bane the main antagonist of The Dark Knight Rises. Now, when it comes to the philosophical aspects of the intellectual discourse of The Dark Knight Rises, the title of this video is whether the film foreshadowed the fall of the of Western society. And I'm only speaking of this in terms of how Nietzsche pro- uh, talked about the fall of Western society. And I think the best statement that clarifies this prediction was his God is dead statement. Now, when Nietzsche said God is dead, he didn't necessarily mean that there is no God. I mean, a lot of people accuse him that of him proclaiming some form of atheism, yet it's never been clear whether Nietzsche was an atheist or not. I'm not certain about that. He certainly detested Christianity. He didn't have a positive view of the belief system but he ultimately believed that he, it's very clear, by the way he's saying God is dead, God remains dead, for we are his mur- his murderers, that's how it's phrased, I'm not quoting it directly, but he's pretty much saying that, and then he even laments of how we will we heal ourselves as a result of this murder. He was basically saying that religion had lost its utility, that the idea of God became almost useless to a society that was becoming more and more secularized and so dedicated to rationality as if it was a new religion yet in prior videos i've discussed my own respect for christopher hitchens and how he said he openly admitted that logic is man-made that is the attempt to make order but because it is an attempt rather than a definitive victory there are some moments where it can be corrupted Or misinterpreted and treated with the same fervor and worship that organized religion is and that's a dangerous road to take in the case of the idea of god or the death of god nietzsche was definitely expressing how he feared that as religion became less useless and human beings were becoming more and more dedicated to a rationality they treated as though it was purely objective and a sense of ultimate truth because he didn't, he openly said that there are no universal truths, that it would lead to some form of nihilism, a sense of meaninglessness. Because ultimately, because prior to, prior to the, well, oh, I mean, obviously prior to the industrial revolution or just secularization of society, people put a lot of faith in God. They had a lot of trust in the idea of God. They saw it as a sense of ultimate truth. But once this sense of ultimate truth started to die down, that didn't just simply open, crush anybody's idea of faith or how to approach faith, but it ultimately showed that the idea of ultimate truth could just shift back and could often can, could change so easily that it would probably create a pattern of nihilistic culturization. I guess basically... If the idea of, of what, something we perceive as ultimate, ultimate truth could be eradicated like that, then it would only spell out a nihilism that would become pre- very prevalent within our society. And I think The Dark Knight Rises best exemplifies this when the character of Bain gives that, the, the, that speech where he's basically criticizing capitalism the values, the monopolistic dangers in which Western society has often ignored for so long that it's created a cultural disparity that it's almost invalidated the idea of the American Dream, which in some sense was treated with some kind of religious worship in many ways, almost like some myth that gave people hope. And, I mean, being a fan of Joseph Campbell, his dedication to the Jungian archetypes, and even his own focus on mythology and how one misinterpretation people have often had with rel- with any religion they believed in is that they've treated it as though it's literal. He did say that relig- all religions are true, but they're not literal. And sadly, most people have treated all religious stories as if they were literal. I mean, I'm not saying every Christian treats the Bible as the literal word of God, but unfortunately, because many pe- people who are Christian or of another faith are told that their holy book or their religious texts are the ultimate truth handed down by whatever whoever they consider to be the creator of the universe. That not only creates a sense of dependency, but it also creates an open window of vulnerability. Where if these beliefs were automatically dismantled, it would probably destroy them psychologically in a sense where they would be very open to a form of nihilism that could ultimately corrupt their sense of character. And Joseph Campbell said that the West needed a new myth, a new myth, mythology. And it's like, he, in the way he says it, because he doesn't exactly say what this mythology was, what this new potential mythology was, so much as he introduced it as always like a, a question that needed answering. And it's very much like the idea of art and the purpose of creating art because i think anyone who is an artist has to ask themselves why is life worth living what is the purpose of creating the work i'm dedicating so much of my time my stress my passion my love my hate my internal suffering to to the point where it further puts me in an existential quest of self-discovery why is it worth it and woody allen well, however you may feel about him, did point this out in a 2007 interview when he was mentioning all the shit that was going on at the time, the economy, terrorism, post-9-11. He says all this meaning, all these random, chaotic, meaningless events, at times they can make life very difficult, so it's up to the artist to try and make sense of them. But again, if you don't have an awareness of it, or if you get so swept up on them, it can create a kind of cultural disparity that you see very much in a lot of the Gothamites that are willingly subjecting themselves to the will of Bane because obviously this is gonna to go to the political aspect of The Dark Knight Rises. There's a moment in, this, in the film where after Bane has made himself public to Gotham City, he pretends to be this left-wing revolutionary with a Jay Guevara-like presence and, and charisma that grabs the attention of many Gothamites almost to the point where he actually, it almost sounds like he actually believes what he's saying. But then again, that was one of the things that made The Dark Knight Rises so controversial as though it was Christopher Nolan's attack, personal political attack against left-wing populism when that wasn't the case at all. I think what Christopher Nolan was ultimately doing with that moment in the film he was trying to illustrate how the West has reached a point where it's become so secularized, so nihil- so corroded by this form of nihilism, this purely dedicated to logic, with a multitude of, of aspects that have just made made the standard of living in the environment so bad that. It's become made people incredibly vulnerable and susceptible to anything that they feel will lift them up and give them that sense of hope that they most likely grew up in. And, I mean, now I'm going to probably get a little political myself. In many ways, and this is not just because Donald Trump quoted Bain directly in his inauguration speech, but I feel in many ways the Dark Knight Rises predicted somebody like Trump. It didn't necessarily predict someone like Trump. I didn't necessarily predict Donald Trump specifically. But I think the idea of a strong man leader was something that could ultimately result from a cultural, a culture of disparity that was birthed from the from type of economic ruin following the 2008 financial crisis. Because, let's face it, when people say that the economy was better under Trump, there's a double-edged sword to that argument. On one end, yes, spending was better under Trump, but it was only better under the illusion that we had a good economy because I don't think the United States has ever really had a good economy. It's just had a good fake economy, given that money operates in a, in, more, in more ways than people realize. Most people don't realize that the idea of printing, being able to print infinite amounts of money isn't a good thing. They often just see it as like, meh. They've never questioned it. They've never bothered to try and understand how. Following one thousand, nine hundred and seventy-one, the United States has and the money in the United States has not been real since we got off the gold standard. So thank you, Richard Nixon. But as I'm saying, with the Dark Knight Rises in predicting somebody like Trump, he obviously was trying to predict the idea that if this level of financial, of economic, and cultural disparity was going on, would go on for so long. It wouldn't be a surprise for a mass population to be swayed by some outsider, somebody who didn't fit with the status quo, somebody who exemplified a strongman persona that could make them believe they could lift themselves up. Now, that doesn't mean that a leader who doesn't follow by the status quo can't be a a good thing. I mean, I remember watching this documentary, which I probably regret seeing because it did kind of make AOC look intelligent, even though... I personally think she's a clown. I did find it interesting how some of the people that were being interviewed in the documentary were, showed an equal amount of excitement for both Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders. But that wasn't Bernie Sanders, it wasn't kowtowed by the establishment. But either way, the, the one thing that Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump shared is that they were both outsiders. They both pissed off the establishment wings of the parties that they were representing to the extent that they were, and no, that was and that was mostly because they were talking like human beings, in a sense, human beings, and in, in regards to the personas that they exemplify. I mean, Donald Trump is obviously a guy who doesn't give a fuck about what people think about him. He always has to feel that he's always right, which has worked in his favor at times and also worked against him. But at the end of the day, you can tell that it's coming from who he is, as opposed to some somebody not someone others want him to be and i get the same thing from bernie sanders even though he is less crass and or was less crass and equally abrasive in his own sense because back then you got the idea that he genuinely did care about the working class but because whatever happened happened with him in the establishment he's been completely neutered to the point where he is part of the establishment but more like the cowardly section that just wants to protect himself as i was saying though with the dark now rises I feel that, in many ways, it it makes me think of what Nietzsche said about the fall of the West, that that because of its dedication to rationality and its lack of true spirituality, it would decline to a level where it would not only see the kind of cultural disparity that was brought on by economic ruin, but it was just to the point where it became... God, major tongue twist there. Where we became susceptible, susceptible to all sorts of manipulation. I mean, look, I am not a religious person; I am an atheist. But I do have a respect for the spirituality that religion talks about. I love the stories. I find I think they're very fascinating. I think they say it about a lot of, about our species, because in the end of the day, I think from reading Joseph Campbell and the Hero of a Thousand Faces, it's helped me better understand the, that as human beings we are a species of storytellers all these stories are an amalgamation of our desire to understand our place in the universe but unfortunately because we've taken them literally so much and formed so much dependency over them on them over the centuries and as that dependency has 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 fallen and even to the point where we didn't really know what to do with it after after losing it that it made us more psychologically vulnerable to all forms of manipulation. One key example of this is the megachurch, the the way Christianity or other religions have been marketed in a sense as forms of of sensationalist entertainment. Now for those of you who are passionate evangelical Christians who go to megachurches, I really apologize. But I've never been a fan of those megachurches, and I'm not afraid to say I find that the I find that those sensationalist shows are very pornographic. I don't think that they embody any form of spirituality. I think that the entertainment aspect is just something to get, garner the attention of people who have gotten bored of the traditional and orthodox aspects that define much of the monotheistic religions. And I don't blame them for being bored because. They border on the on the on the dogmatic, and that can that can also turn people off. But I do I feel that that entertainment aspect also plays on the lack of a, the way attention spans have dwindled over time. Not just because of the total secular secularization of society but also the technologization of society where technology has risen exponentially and made our lives fundamentally better easier and simpler to live that it's, de- it's caused our attention spans to decline to such a level that it only makes us even more valuable no uh, yeah more manipulatable i mean i don't like to j- i don't like to be overly critical but I feel I've been to those mega churches with family members and I've often felt that the entertainment aspect of those megachurches just manipulates that lack of attention or lack of curiosity that has been the result of prior orthodox religious beliefs being so boring that they became vulnerable to that type of manipulation instead of having more curiosity onto the nature of of those religions. I mean I'll give an example I listen to Joe Rogan a lot and he talks, obviously if anybody who's a fan of Joe Rogan will not will obviously know about the many times he's promoted and discussed the the positive aspects of using psychedelics. But one thing I've always liked about it is not just simply how much he praises the book The Immortality Key by Brian Mororescu, but he also talks about another book called The Sacred Mushroom and the Cross, or is it no, The Mushroom and the Sacred Cross. Maybe I'm getting the name wrong. Feel free to correct me, anybody who's listening. But one, the main subject of that book is that it was written by a guy who used to be a Christian minister. And he discovered that some of the, from, from reading the Dead Sea Scrolls, that some of the earliest Christians experimented with psychedelics. And I'm not going to, I mean, I've never read the book the sacred mushroom and the cross. But it is very interesting to know that there maybe all the enlightenment that Christianity discusses with regards to Jesus and all the other mythological aspects of the belief system have something to do with transcendent, the transcendence that psycholo- psychedelic experiences often bring. Again, I'm just simply... Excuse me, I burped back there. I'm just shooting in the dark and guessing, because I have no idea what I've, I have no idea what's in that book, "The Sacred Mushroom and the Cross." I've never read the Dead Sea Scrolls. But I do find it fascinating that because the, the the sense of culture in the West has declined so much, and this has also been the result of declining attention spans that people have just become less intellectually curious, that that they're just desperate for any simple answer that can help them get through this nihilistic approach to ultimate truth, as opposed to having the patience to understand that in order to truly understand your place in the universe, you have to have curiosity, as well as the will to want to find out for yourself. As I mentioned in my review for the show Helsing, I don't believe life has a particular purpose other than finding purpose. And for a lot of people, that can be very frustrating because, as I said, and Christopher Hitchens illustrated this as well, one of the travesties of our species has been that we haven't been able to get over that aspect of ourselves that needs to be told what to do. And I'm not blaming anybody for this. I mean, there are times where I feel that temptation because... You're not gonna, none of us are going to have all the answers. But at the same time, personal responsibility is, is, can be more efficient than just over-dependency. And I, I know, I might feel like I'm trailing off given that I'm, I should have been talking about Batman movie, but I think the deeper aspects of The Dark Knight Rises have a lot to do with this, that it's just ingrained within the subtext of the story and the intellectual angles that Christopher Nolan is going for. Because as I mentioned, I've watched a lot of, or maybe I mentioned a different review, but I've I've listened to a lot of podcasts, a lot of reviews about the Dark Knight Rises over the years, or even just Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight trilogy as a whole. And what I've learned is that, from the speculations the critics have made, that in addition to the political aspects of Christopher Nolan's heightened real. realistic gotham city it feels like the films are his intellectual exercise into western society through the the, through the guise of a superhero comic book no a comic book character that is pretty much loved universally i mean there are some people that like spider-man or superman more than batman batman's my personal favorite comic book character but at the end of the day batman's universal allure is something that is undeniable and how much it's impacted our culture so much and you can pertain a lot of this to the Nietzschean aspects of batman because at the end of the day batman is a self-made man he's an example of a man who is able to transform himself into something truly unique you could say a lot of this had to do with his money but bruce wayne could have easily turned into patrick bateman i know there's some irony there given the the Dark Batman from the Dark Knight Trilogy is played by Christian Bale who ended up playing Patrick Bateman and there have been a lot of jokes regarding how Patrick Bateman is just pretty much Bruce Wayne with his parents alive and having suffered next to nothing with all the spoils of being a billionaire and I mean hell even it even looks like I mean Patrick Bateman pretty much is and, and the Bruce Wayne of the Dark Knight Trilogy look practically the same Christian Bale is just a decade older, and you can clearly see it, as opposed to being a man in his 20s. That being said, jokes aside, I do believe that the Dark Knight trilogy is Christopher Nolan's intellectual exercise into the West, and using a comic book character like Batman, which he stated, he he brought Batman into our world, the real world in which we live in, perfectly embodies that. Anyway, these are just my thoughts on The Dark Knight Rises and how much of it in many ways feels like it was a, it was just just pl- showing the decline, I mean, the idea of Nietzsche's de- views on how the West would eventually decline. And uh, I mean, that's about it because I'm actually getting very tired, but I don't want to end this podcast without mentioning the sponsors of it first one being Spotify for Podcasters, and for those of you who don't know what Spotify for Podcasters is, it's a podcasting app that allows you to create your own podcast, and all you have to simply do is just record yourself, publish the episode on Spotify for Podcasters, and I'll leave a link down below. And within a matter of minutes, your podcast will be distributed across all the platforms, whether we're talking Apple, Spotify, Lisbon, Karyocaster, Podfreeze, and even the second sponsor of this podcast, Fountain which is a podcasting app that allows you to earn Bitcoin while you listen to your favorite podcast. And the great thing about, I mean, the best way of summing up Fountain is if you were to go to the movies and instead of paying for a ticket, you're actually getting paid for every second that you watch the movie, which is a great thing. And I mean, for those of you who understand the inflationary environment that we're living in, I think it's more important than ever to secure as much hard currency or hard money as bit what bitcoin is, similar to gold, as possible. In addition to that, I've left you all some bitcoin buying links which you can click on and if you sign up for them you immediately get a referral reward for each of them whether it's Fold, Swan, Coinbit or Choice or even the Cash App. So in many ways we both get a reward so it's a win-win for both of us. Anyway, I'm getting very tired, hopefully I'll have more energy in the next recording i do for those of you who did tolerate my my pseudo random rap intellectual rambling i appreciate it and uh good night